I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. ESG and crypto, the unstoppable force meets the immovable object. But which one will have to give? On the one hand, ESG is not just a social movement, but an increasingly broad set of rules and regulations, all aimed at making markets and finance more sustainable. And on the other, crypto has survived it all, from fluctuating values to public and governmental opprobrium. But if anything, has only become more popular among millennials seeking to invest, and in some instances gamble, on the future of an emerging technology. But crypto and ESG don't always mix easily, with Bitcoin often highlighted as a case in point. Critics around the world have criticized the cryptocurrency's electricity usage, with crypto advocate and world's richest person, Elon Musk, himself calling on environmental reforms before his company Tesla agrees to accept the cryptocurrency for transactions. Now, this has drawn the attention of climate advocates and policymakers and introduced the prospect of a far greater range of potential threats to cryptocurrency than just financial regulation. Plus, it's reminded the industry that a range of social concerns might end up affecting the bottom line of companies operating in the space. To break it all down, I've invited some heavy hitters to join me today, Jeff Banman, a veteran of the show and the principal of Banman Advisors, and Sheila Warren, the head of data, blockchain, and digital assets, and a member of the executive committee at the World Economic Forum. They're two of the best and will be telling us, as between ESG or crypto, which one really is unstoppable. Tell your crew who's the H2 and wise amounts is the new world water and every drop counts. You can laugh and take it as a joke if you wanna, but it don't rain a full week some summers. And it's about to get real. Sheila, Jeff, thanks so much for making it onto the show. Thanks for having us, Chris. It's great to be here. Yeah, Chris, great to be here again. Sheila, I guess we'll just pick things up with the question du jour. Uh, when you look at crypto, how possible is it to make an assessment of crypto's environmental sustainability? Is, as many people are asking, crypto dirty? You know, it's a, it's a really impossible question to answer because I think that you have to look at it in context as in terms of what we're comparing them to. Clean or dirty compared to what? Uh, and I also think it's important to note that Crypto is not a monolith. There are different protocols uh, within crypto. There, there's Bitcoin, which is kind of the best known. There's Ethereum, there's Algorand, there's Stellar. There's, and there's just so many of these. Uh, and they all have different underlying mechanisms, some of which use more energy and some of which use less energy, some of which use different kinds of energy. So it's really difficult to answer that question in an abstract. You have to always be positing it. There's always some sort of premise underlying it. And I think that's what makes it a very challenging question to answer. Jeff, Sheila went right to the heart of one of the most interesting aspects of the debate and points out really that this isn't just a government versus industry question. Uh, there really are different camps even within industry. Now, these camps often reflect different beefs some software developers may have with uh, one another's tech, but it does seem that it's clearly a debate now playing out, uh, again, very clearly in terms of sustainability. From your perch how are you seeing things play out uh, between the very different camps and factions? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. And yeah, and 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 crypto is is full of uh, different camps. I think the first thing for the the listeners to uh, to appreciate is we're we're really we're really not in a one size fits all world. And and Sheila alluded to that right off the bat. And it's a really important point. Like people, you know, sort of many people uh, for them. Crypto and Bitcoin are synonymous. It's you know the first, it's the OG, it's the one that has survived. And you know the way Bitcoin works, uh, you know it came up with this idea of having peer-to-peer transactions without a centralized intermediary. But you need some mechanism to protect the integrity of the network. And so you have these kind of computationally complex uh, problems that you need you know more and more advanced computers to solve. So you know, I'm not going to say this is all about linguistics and definitions, but, you know, in crypto, there's a lot of analogies and metaphors. And so this process was called mining. Um, now, maybe if they had called it mathing <laughs> instead of mining, you know, it wouldn't have been such a bad idea. But, you know, mining, you know, has, has bad, you know, it has so many, so many bad connotations. But, you know, so there is a lot of, you know, it's computationally intensive. And I think we'll get into this more. There is a lot of use of renewable energy. In fact, according to the Cambridge Center study at the end of last year, 39% of sort of hashing is done with renewable energy sources. And there are arguments that I think we can, uh, you know, maybe delve into a bit more that actually, uh, you know, crypto may be accelerating some of the adoption and the sort of demand side around these. You know, when you listen to the debate, you certainly see that any uh, particular kind of technology requires energy. And some decentralized processes like proof of work, whatever their other advantages, may have higher energy requirements than others, like proof of stake that may be more uh, centralized. Additionally, it's worth noting that some of the computers used for mining are being run in countries with poor environmental standards or with greater reliance on coal, causing an even greater potential emission of greenhouse gases. And, and I guess that raises a number of other ESG concerns. But uh, what I think has caught my eye has been a number of counter arguments comparing crypto to the legacy infrastructure and the energy consumption involved in traditional finance, which people note can be high. Um, Sheila, from your vantage point, are these kinds of arguments likely to resonate uh, either in industry or with policymakers? So this is how it tends to go. Okay. So someone comes in and says, oh my God, Bitcoin uses the same amount of energy as the, an entire country. And they name like a random country. And then someone else says, oh, but when you compare Bitcoin to you know, mining of gold or to the legacy financial infrastructure, the banking system, look at how energy efficient it is. I find personally this entire line of conversation to be just a gigantic waste of time. I mean, for one thing, I think it's predicated on the idea that there's something else that A, that, that, any, that cryptocurrency is going to just go away and vanish, which I mean, newsflash, that is not the case. Like this stuff is not going away. It's here. So who cares? Who cares what you're comparing it to? Who cares to some degree, like what other things are better or worse or whatever? In my mind, the interesting conversation is how do we make this stuff be done in a more sustainable fashion? How are we improving these systems? How are we making them greener? How are we making them more socially inclusive? That's the interesting conversation. And that's where you know, I tend to focus most of my time and attention and the forum's time and attention on some of this work is to say, 
what does it mean to be greener? How do we measure? How do we know that we're making progress, right? So it's less about, are you using this or are you using that? Or, you know, which, I don't know, vehicle today or country or whatever, you know, are we comparing, are we creating, making the apple to the zucchini that we're comparing it to? You know, none of that is particularly, I find fruitful and productive because you can just argue at 10 ways to Sunday. I think it's really just, how do we know as a community that we are moving in the right direction and that things are trending that way? And I will say from what I observe and from the data, you know, there, there are arguments to be made that I think are powerful arguments. Uh, I'm watching them. You know, I haven't landed my personal point of view on this yet, but I'm watching them to say, could there actually be, you know, uh, could, could Bitcoin particularly, but generally proof of work and, and my, this kind of mining in general, be actually creating demand? Could we create, you know, low, could, we, could we shift load bearing? Could we actually create decentralized grids? Could we create more um, appetite for creating some of these renewable farms that maybe wouldn't be able to be funded or started without something of the magnitude of, you know, mining, of white crypto mining? So a lot of these things I find fascinating. Uses of non-arable land, job creation, like all these things are offshoots that I find compelling. And I think we have to see the extent to which policymakers dive into this and ESG accountants and those who are creating these metrics uh, look at this stuff and see trending towards progress. Yeah. And I'd just to pick up, I mean, those are so many important uh, observations. I really like the way you char- characterized it. And I don't think I'll think of a- apples and zucchinis in the same way uh, <laughs> ever, ever, ever again. But, you know, you talk about kind of the non-arable land and, and building demand. And I think that you know, this is really important that there there is a, a new paradigm of sort of on the demand side. Um, and, you know, so historically, you know, various types of industry from, you know, even predating the industrial revolution, but, you know, you had a mill and it was located next to the river and, you know, it did its thing. And then something, you know, you built whatever your thing was, and then you had kind of bigger and bigger factories or whatever, but they were built next to bodies of water or built to where they had access to, you know, you know, power plants. But once you sort of built the thing that consumes energy for industrial purposes, it was sort of there in one place and it was static and it couldn't move. And what we've seen with, you know, cryptocurrencies, I mean, not just Bitcoin, but that, you know, you, you have these, you know, very specially designed high powered computers, but you can move them. So, you know, maybe you put them next to a hydroelectric dam somewhere in China, but then, you know, either the political situation changes or the dynamic changes uh, or, you know, the water thing changes. So then you pick them all up and you move them to some geothermal uh, area in Iceland or some renewable wind field in Texas or something like that. And so the portability of these sort of, of, of these are sort of really fostering and driving demand. Like you couldn't pick up your mill and move it halfway around the world, but you can pick up your server farms and move it somewhere else. So you have this sort of nimble agility cross-border thing, which again can really help drive demand. And when you combine it with some of the things Sheila mentioned around kind of transparency and awareness, you know, it can really be an accelerant. That's really an interesting observation that itself generates plenty of questions. even picking up servers and moving somewhere costs time and money and planning. So to do that, you, you have to be motivated. You have to internalize costs of non-action or, or polluting. Now, it, it seems like what you're both saying is that many of these costs uh, can be reputational. But in, in order to have reputational costs, people have uh, to know 
what one another, uh, what, what any particular person is doing, which brings up the question of transparency. Um, now, this is important because there are calls for more disclosure. We see the private sector trying to coordinate ESG standards, and we see here in the United States and really around the world, regulators considering mandatory ESG disclosures and, and higher quality disclosures more generally. Uh, with all that in mind, how far have we come on the question of crypto disclosures and especially environmental disclosure? And what does the the rise of ESG then really mean? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Chris. And so, you know, like I would say, it, you know, sort of a really interesting dynamic because, you know, when we think of, you know, who are the big drivers of kind of institutional disclosure right now? It's like the Black Rocks of the world, the ISSs of the world, um, you know, they and they are, you know, pushing for that in the in the context of, you know, listed securities. But those players are nowhere in crypto. They're, you know, they're they're dabbling, they're get, they're exploring it for like exploratory, you know, they're, you know, smart people at BlackRock who I know are kind of looking at this, but they, you know, do not have the footprint here. So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. They're driving disclosure there. Now, in the in the crypto world, disclosure and transparency has actually, you know, been very core to the ethos. Like, you know, it started with a transparent blockchain that everybody could see. When people are doing what, you know, doing new projects, they put out a white paper. Are the white papers, you know, as thorough and as comparable as prospectuses? Are they subject to the requirements of prospectuses? You know, I think the direction that, you know, the European regulations are, are, are going and that some things are going, white papers will. Some of the white papers in like 2016, 2017, you know, were a joke. The SEC put out like a, a sort of a fake white paper for Howie coins that was better than a lot of real white papers. But I think that's changing. And this is a case where kind of the community and the culture is moving faster than regulation. And because of the policy debate, you know, particularly where people are doing, you know, proof of stake, proof of space and time, other things that are not energy intensive, for example, they're highlighting that in their disclosures. It's a selling point. So, you know, there is disclosure that is happening organically. That, I guess, really rings a couple of bells. Uh, the same millennials, after all, interested in crypto are the same ones that care about the environment. And, and often they want both. And then regulators, especially European regulators, and here you can think of their recent uh, MECA legislation, are really thinking hard about both the integrity of white paper disclosures and ESG. Sheila, when you see all of this, how would you categorize the range of different ESG-related actions that are being taken by industry, and, and where do you see the frictions? Well, I suppose to be a bit cynical about it, it's everything from, you know, real active efforts at, to Jeff's point, like moving servers to, you know, to uh, across borders and things like this to, you know, lip service on the other side, you know, and, and I think it, it remains to be seen how much of this uh, energy actually gets traction. And particularly when there's a little bit more of a, a systematic way of measuring 
um, what's actually happening, you know, how much of a scramble there is to comply versus how much of a scramble there is to disavow and to say that the, any standards are created or meaningless and this and that, you know. So, so part of what we're trying to do with the forum is we're creating something that we're calling the Crypto Impact and Sustainability Accelerator. And it's designed to bring together these in typical kind of forum fashion stakeholder sets who don't always talk to each other to say, what is a meaningful measure? What is a meaningful metric to show progress? Again, our goal, you know, as with anything we do the farm is we're, we're neutral. So we're not trying to kind of allow people to compare, you know, this, this and that, you know, again, the apples and zucchini to some extent, right? But what we're trying to say is, let's show that there is progress being made over time. We operate on the assumption that a variety of these protocols are significantly different from each other. The only measure should not be ESG. There's other, or E for that matter. There's a significant S part of this. There's a governance part of it. There's security trade-offs. There's a lot of reasons why you might be into one protocol or another beyond which is the greenest. Now, for some, that's going to be the only metric that matters. Great, fine. But for most people, that is one of a set of factors they're considering. So we want to be very clear that you know it's not about being able to say this one's green, therefore that one's bad, or this one's greener or whatever. It's about saying all of them can demonstrate progress over time. What does that look like? What is meaningful? You know, where what is our baseline that we're starting from and how do we kind of show improvement? Sheila, you're highlighting a really important point. It's one that's often overlooked that there are a range of normative objectives and aspirations embedded in ESG. So it's important to not just look at the metrics for any standard, but to keep in mind just what standard or a really social objective one is talking about. Uh, Jeff, you know, w- with that in mind, when when you talk about ESG and, and think about it, how do you think about the conversation and and how do you think the conversation is going to impact crypto even beyond questions of uh, the environment. Yeah. So, so I think that, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about the sort of E side of ESG, but I think one of the, the really, uh, you know, kind of, you know, you know, potentially radical and transformative areas is the G, uh, you know, which is the, you know, the, the governance part, you know, there's, you know, that, that sort of the, the, the starting point was, you know, the Bitcoin white paper in 2008 and then 2009, this idea that you would have a peer-to-peer uh, system for transferring value without intermediaries. And now with the surge in this sort of overall movement called uh, DeFi, decentralized finance, um, you know, it's been criticized for, you know, a, a number a number of things. But I think that something to, to highlight is that, you know, these new governance models are being uh, done where you have the people who sort of technology innovate, they come up with a use case and a business model, but then rather than just try to control it themselves or have, you know, sort of a replication of, you know, sort of shareholder capitalism, the, the way the way we have it, and obviously shareholder capitalism, you know, gets criticized, but also has a lot of advocates, right? But, you know, they're trying different things where it pushes out governance. You talk, you hear about things like governance tokens and this sort of community of stakeholders have the ability to make decisions, whether it's a so-called DAO or decentralized autonomous organization, where there's voting or whether there's degrees of control, but they're trying all these things and it's not necessarily pure democracy, it's not necessarily pure republicanism. And all these things are now being tested with real value at stake. Will they work? Are there fights? Are there lawsuits? But I think this can be transformative, Chris. So that's super interesting. You know, I've myself observed how securities law won't necessarily pick up or require disclosure of things 
uh, we think are really important for investors in crypto assets, in part because uh, the disclosure mandates themselves are premised on half-century-old uh, assumptions about the the operation of traditional corporations and and and, and it has in mind uh, corporate governance with boards of directors and officers and the like, and it doesn't really anticipate uh, blockchain governance where there are um, completely different sets of actors like software developers or miners or decentralized protocols and like. And and you're saying, well, that that may be true, but if ESG becomes more prominent and the G of ESG in particular, the, the new disclosures could pick up on some of the things that uh, maybe even our, our current mandatory disclosure misses. Uh, Sheila, what strikes you as particularly salient? Um, when you think about ESG, what other kinds of uh, things come to mind? Well, one of the reasons I'm really passionate about decentralization as a general proposition is something that we should be paying more attention to, you know, to the degree to which it underlies these protocols um, is the diversity factor, you know, and I think that when we think about who is actually making a lot of the money in these systems, that's one question. And there's certainly problematic aspects to that, that, you know, have to do with geographic diversity, gender diversity, demographic diversity, et cetera, right? Largely located in who do we empower in our society to take risks? Who are the people that were qualified, able to access the technology they needed, the tools they needed, the education that they needed to, you know, mine Bitcoin, let's say in the early days, as an example, that's kind of one issue that we'll put to maybe one side for the moment because it reflects larger um, systemic problems in our society. The other, though, is that a lot of these protocols, the people who have all the money are also the ones who control the governance tokens and get to make the decisions about what happens behind these protocols. And so it's interesting to, to talk about and think through to what extent decentralization as a process, you know, as a, there's a reason, as I like to sometimes say, you know, that the United States is a republic, not a pure democracy, because it's really hard to corral thousands and thousands of people and get them to move in any direction efficiently at all, let alone efficiently, right? So it's interesting questions there about how control manifests in some of these fora uh, and in these systems. I think there's also the question about fatigue. At one point, you know, what point are you uh, enabling people to participate meaningfully when you're throwing too many decisions at them in DAOs or you know in, in governance, right, in these communities, um, versus maybe pulling up more critical decisions about resource deployment, about treasuries and their use, etc., uh, that maybe should be that are more critical than other kinds of more minor questions. So there's this really interesting, I think dynamic that goes on that has a diversity component behind it. Something we're also looking at at this impact accelerator is to say, you know, if ultimately, my view anyway, is that ultimately, if we're not really bettering people's lives, like what, what is the point of all of this? You know, what are we doing here? You know, it's, it, are we just trying to make an existing system more efficient and kind of replicate our existing rail, just remake our existing rails, our existing power dynamics onto new structures? If so, okay, I'm not saying that's not a reasonable or, you know, important goal in its own right, perhaps, but I like to think that we're looking to build a more inclusive economy. And if that's the case, we have to think quite a bit about participation in that economy and what that means and what that looks like uh, and how to make it meaningful. It seems to me that when you think about uh, the points in terms of governance and when you also think about diversity and, 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 and also climate, you know, a lot of the actors, again, when you get to this institutionalization point, you know, a lot of the actors that are ironically participating, whether or not in a decentralized environment or, you know, trying to bring this technology to legacy, uh, to the legacy financial system, are 
you know, uh, more and more they're doing IPOs. They're 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 actually going public, and and uh, you know, as they are doing so, they're also uh, facing the prospect of new kinds of of obligations and and new kinds of both disclosure obligations and 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 the like, uh, especially here in the United States, and yeah, uh, questions about both the disclosures in terms of your climate. Uh, uh, impact in terms of your governance, perhaps on the back end, as you're noting for ESG, and certainly when it comes to your uh, diversity, like the, the new board diversity measures, could be really interesting, and it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, what uh, uh, sort of or, or how the, the the crypto ecosystem um, is going to be poised uh, to to navigate those systems. I think, you know, I guess I'll just end, you know, with precisely. That question. I mean, for you both. I mean, you're you're both uh, talking to many of the most cutting edge people in the world uh, operating in crypto. I mean, do you think that for all of their innovation, that they're actually, you know, that many of the actors that you see, do, do you get a sense that they will be actually able to navigate social issues, especially given the fact that, you know, in, in many instances, I mean, even going back to Bitcoin, I mean, it really. You know, the entire industry was was fun was founded in many ways off of a kind of an ethos of 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 uh, kind of going it alone and a and a kind of disinterest and if if and perhaps even disdain for uh, sort of social or, or 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 political interference. Sheila, I'll start with you, and then and then end it off with uh, Jeff. Yeah. I, so again, you know, I I you're catching in a bit of a cynical moment. Maybe it's just you know. Um, recent developments in the space, let's call it and leave it at that. But, you know, I think that, uh, I think it comes down to adoption. I've always believed, we've been tracking at the forum since I, you know, since I started this team um, almost four years ago, just uh, the reality that in, you know, really stable economies, there's a little, people are engaging in crypto or, you know, for different reasons, right? But in of kind of volatile currencies, you're seeing real use cases here. And so I think it comes down fundamentally to adoption. And I think that we're going to see crypto being used as more of medium exchange in economies where there is a need for that kind of thing, where you are actually creating efficiency, you're creating stability, you know, you're, you're at, you're enhancing things that, that uh, are going to better again, people's lives. And so I feel like we're almost going to backdoor, you know, in a way into a financially inclusive world, despite what I perceive as a lot of lip service about that, without a lot of actual attention being paid to the unbelievable complexity of engaging in uh, measures that are going to really, you know, move the needle on financial inclusion. So, so I, that that's what I've always clung to, I suppose, you know, as I, as I really am an idealist, I swear. And that's kind of what keeps me going and keeps me really energized by the space. That potential is real. And we're also seeing it manifest. So you are a, a cynical optimist. I, I like to think of myself, I think that all cancels down to being, you know, pragmatic. <laughs> I'm a pragmatic optimist. I am optimistic, but I put a little bit of boundary on that, right? Because human behavior is human behavior. So, 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 so uh, Jeff, are you also a pragmatist? Um, you know, I'd say I'm, um, uh, you know, I'm optimistic about the value, the value proposition, but, you know, I mean, you know, with, with legal training, it's hard not to be pragmatic and, and caveat things, but, you know, like I, you know, I think that the, you know, the world has been, been changing and in, you know, many ways for the better and in other, other ways, not, not for the better, you know, so we think, well, what are the same, some of the things that, that, um, you know, cri- cryptocurrencies can, can accomplish, 
Um, you know, do we have something that could be censorship resistant, uh, you know, against totalitarian regimes? Uh, and, you know, we seem to have more and more totalitarian regimes around the world exercising their power. Is there a social good if, uh, you know, cryptocurrency can enable people to flee an autocratic or totalitarian country and kind of take their wealth with them in some way? Uh, or, you know, are, are women in countries where, you know, property rights, uh, you know, are not necessarily there either culturally or legally? And if they receive their pay payments from their small businesses and other forms, they might be taken by their husbands or corrupt officials but instead they can receive these payments directly if they're in digital form. So, you know, as a complementary technology or as an empowering thing, you know, I think there's definitely a place for this and, you know, it, it, it does not come without a cost. You know, maybe some of these things will help to balance out some of the, um, you know, negative per perceptions or energy. Uh, and I think we, you know, we need to see where it all goes with the, the G. Well, well, Sheila, Jeff, thanks so much for making it on the show. Thanks for having us. Such a pleasure. Really fun. Oh, yeah. Chris, thanks for having me, Sheila. Always great to see you and discuss these issues and uh, always learning something new from both of you. It's wonderful. <laughs> Same. Some of the biggest news in crypto isn't coming from technology per se, but from the consequences of the technology, which, as we heard, can be vast and diverse. Now, this could pose challenges to the crypto ecosystem. As many entrepreneurs are now discovering, finance isn't technology, and it's always had a social element to it, and like money itself, has always been subject to rules and societal expectations. The question as a result isn't really whether technology supporting crypto won't be subject to scrutiny by policymakers seeking a more sustainable financial system. Instead, the question is how and whether the crypto community will embrace the challenge and channel their enormous ingenuity into finding new solutions to age-old problems, as well as the ones of their own creation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. -M -M -E We'd love to hear from you.